can go ahead and just shout it out. And no prizes, unfortunately, but shout, go ahead and shout out the answer to this question. All right? Who, as their last words, their very last words on earth, who said this? So much wasted time. Ring a bell? Last words. So much wasted time. This was David Cassidy, the inventor of fish lips. No, the, 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 um, he was in the 70s, actor, musician, Partridge family. David Cassidy, on his deathbed, he said, so much wasted time. What about this one? I think you guys, more of you will get this. Who said, are you guys ready? Let's roll. Okay, yes, yes, I heard it. Todd Beamer. Todd Beamer, uh, United Flight 93, September 11, 2001. Last words recorded on his cell phone before he stormed the cockpit. Let's roll. That's right. You guys ready? Let's roll. And who said this one? Jesus, remember me when I come into your kingdom. Yes, the thief on the cross. Last words. Have you ever thought about what your last words will be? Well, today we're going to look at the last words of our risen Lord and Savior, and they are truly lasting words. They guided the early believers in Christ and have encouraged us and every generation of believers since. The last words of our Lord aren't found in the upper room after his resurrection, and they're not found um, in the Great Commission before his ascension. Instead, the last words of Christ can be found in the book of Revelation, Chapter 22, and the verses we'll be looking at this morning are verses 12 and 13. Jesus is the speaker here, and he begins his final series of statements to us, and he says this, Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me, to render to every man according to what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. So to set the context here, the Apostle John is the last living apostle. So these words were written towards the end of the first century, somewhere around 95 or 96 A.D. And John had been sentenced to this barren island of Patmos. And he was sentenced there by the Romans for his faithful preaching of the gospel. And while on this island of Patmos, John received a series of visions in Revelation that are meant to encourage us and encourage the church. And he begins his last discourse to us with this encouraging call to every generation that that Jesus is coming, and he's coming quickly, and that his reward is with him to give to every one of the saints according to their deeds. It's these words that motivate us, and it's these words that, that prompt us to live in this constant state of readiness and be alert for the return of our Lord. So it's a message of fact. It's a message of hope. Jesus will return. He is coming again. And I pray these words will be dominant in our lives this week and in the years to come. So, so first what we can, we can dissect from these verses is what catches our attention is in verse 12 is the promise of Christ's return. These are the words of Jesus and they're very clearly stated there. He says, behold, I am coming quickly. Behold, we should give strict and careful attention to what follows next. He says, Behold, I am coming quickly. Jesus here promises that he's going to return to earth 
in the body, just as sure as he did when he left the first time when he was taken up into the clouds in glory. So he now says, I'm coming quickly, and I will return to this earth. Now, notice the ver verb turns there. I am coming quickly. It's in the present tense. It's not even in the future tense. He doesn't say, I will be coming quickly. He's coming as so certain he puts it in the present tense as if he's on his way right now. I am coming quickly. I'm on the way. I'm ready to burst onto the scene of human history. It's really important, I think, that we internalize that Jesus is coming again, right? That, that in, this in this last chapter, matter of fact, on the very last page of your Bible, right? So in conclusion of the whole book, on the last page, Jesus says this three times in the span of a few verses, in verse 7, you would read, And behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who heeds the prophecies of this book. We just read it right there in verse 12. And in verse 20, the very last time Jesus' words are ever recorded to us, here's what he says. Yes, I am coming quickly. So the word quickly is an adverb. And the word means without delay, soon, suddenly. And the idea, I think, is that he's just ready to burst onto the scene. And when he does it, it's going to be quickly. There's going to be no time to prepare, no time to, gonna, to get ready. It's going to be quickly, and it's going to startle us all. So how quickly will this happen? Well, in the New Testament, there are a few images given to picture how quickly the return of Jesus will be. And one such image is found in James 5.9, and it's the judge at the door. We read, we read, Do not complain, brethren, against one another, so that you yourselves may not be judged, behold, the judge, capital J, is standing right at the door. So in this imagery, it's although the judge of the universe, Jesus, has, has gotten up off his throne, and he's approached the door of our world, and he's just ready to come in. He's standing right at the door. It's kind of like, picture his hand on the doorknob, right? He's standing right at the door. He's ready to open it up and burst onto the the scene of history and into our world. The second example we see is in 1 Thessalonians 5.2, where he's pictured as a thief in the night. We read, For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. Well, how does a thief usually appear? Generally, the thief waits until it's dark, when others least expect him to rob and when he breaks into a house, a thief doesn't do what? He doesn't shuffle around and move real slowly. But a thief comes in, he comes in quickly, he grabs something that's valuable to him, right? He takes it away with him. Jesus is pictured like a thief in the night, his return is. He will burst into this dark house of the dark world and, and take what's valuable to him. Now, what's valuable to Christ? Us, his church. He's going to take us and quickly he's going to, He's going to leave with us and take us up to glory. And when he returns, he will do so quickly. And a third picture that we get of how quickly will our Lord come is that of a bridegroom and a bride. And we see that in John 14, 2 and 3. Here's what Jesus says. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where 
I am, there you may also be. So picture in Jesus' day, a bridegroom would become engaged to his bride, and then he would go off and he would prepare a place for them, for them to live together after marriage. And it would often take place at his father's house. The bridegroom would build on to the father's house, make sure everything is just perfect to the father's house, some additional space. And then he would go and get his bride and bring her back there to that house. It's only when everything was just perfect and ready, then he would go and he would get his bride. And what added to the excitement of this situation was that the bridegroom would go get his bride at an unexpected time. She never knew when he was going to come. Right? So this meant that she, the engaged bride, would need to be in a constant state of readiness. Be, always be ready for her bridegroom to come bursting through those doors and get her. And we know that that is no small task to always be ready. And, and so even as the bride of Christ, the church, we must be ready by doing his will and be in readiness for the return of the bridegroom. And that is no small task either. I mean, I think we all realize, right, that there's no more prophecies that need to be fulfilled in order for Jesus to come back. He could come this very next second, right? He could come tonight. He could come tomorrow. I mean, he's on the way. I am coming quickly, and the judge is right at the door, ready to come in. The bridegroom is ready to come for his bride. When it happens, it's going to be quickly. He will come like a thief in the night. That's the promise here in Revelation, these last words of Christ, that we see the promise of his, ret- his return. And, and I just think this truth needs to be on our hearts routinely. And so, therefore, we must ask ourselves, what effect should it have on our spiritual lives, knowing this? What is the application of this truth? I think it's we should live our lives with purity, holiness, and godliness. Because Christ could return at any moment, it matters. I think it really matters how we're conducting our lives when he appears and takes us to be with him. We must be constantly resisting Satan and resisting those temptations and confessing our sins when they occur. We must be striving every day to be more like Jesus and letting him mold us into the people he wants us to be. Behold, I am coming quickly. Note now what we read in his final words to us in Revelation. We see the promise of Christ's return because when Jesus returns, he will have with him his reward to give to us, his believers. And I think this was really meant, he wanted to make sure we we got this because it was meant to encourage the first century church, right? They were, they really had so little to show for their commitment to Christ in this world. So Jesus says, I'm bringing my reward with me. Our reward is not in this world on earth. That's not our reward. It's with Jesus, and he will give it to us when he returns. Let's look at what it says in verse 12. Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to render to every man according to what he has done. So first thing I see is, see how important it is what we do for the Lord? I mean, salvation is by grace. We all know that. And every one of us should be so thankful this morning, and we are. We're so grateful. We're so uplifted that salvation is freely offered to each one of us, solely on the grace of God, through the work of Christ on the cross. 
That we know and we're grateful for. Now then, rewards seem to be linked to what he has done or works. It seems to me in reading that that the Lord will reward us according to what we have done. And since these are heavenly rewards, it makes sense to me in any way that you'll want to have done much for the Lord. So there's much reward that he will give to you on the last day. I think he will judge our works and he will judge our deeds. I really do. Our works will be of great importance on that last day. They're important now and they'll be of importance on the last day. And I, I say that because I referred back in thinking about this sermon, I referred back to 2 Corinthians 5.10. It's a very important verse that speaks of what will happen immediately after the return of our Lord. It speaks about the judgment seat of Christ where our Lord will preside after his return and the church, the people of God, will find themselves there before the judgment seat of Christ. So let's try to examine this verse also in, in support of this verse in Revelation. Paul wrote this to the Corinthians and he said, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. So first, note the word we, for we. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. In this context, the we is believers, Christians, us, right? And some think that since we're justified by faith that there's not going to be a future judgment for us. And again, I want us all to absolutely be so, so certain and filled with joy that we're saved by faith. And there will not be some sort of judgment for a believer like standing before the great white throne and the opening of the book of life and wondering if our name is in it. No, that's not our judgment. I mean, our names are in the book of life. Amen, right? Through Christ, through his blood, through his sacrifice. We're there. We're in the, white, we're in the, we're in the book of life. But that doesn't mean when we dissect this verse, too, it doesn't mean that there won't be a final day of accountability before the Lord of how we've invested our Christian lives for him. Verse 10, to me, makes this clear. We must all. I mean, note the verb must. Must all. The necessity of it. The, the absolute certainty of it. Every one of us here this morning will find ourselves, I think, standing before the Lord. And we'll stand before the judgment seat. Of Christ. And, and what does that word mean? Well, the Greek word here for judgment seat, it means, it refers to this raised platform. Okay, so like at an athletic event, um, at an athletic stadium, after the runners who participated in the event, every runner would then come before the judge's seat, the judgment seat. And there the judge of the games who presides over the competition would give awards to the runners according to how faithfully they ran the race, according to the rules. That's the word used here. The imagery is not of a courtroom, right, and a judge and a gavel, and we fear condemnation. I mean, we know that in Romans 8.1, it assures us there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8.1. So rather, so what's this picture then? It's, it's, it's I got, like a picture of an athletic stadium filled with people. I mean, think of the Super Bowl tonight. I mean, is anybody going to the Super Bowl? No. Anybody get, are you? You getting on your private jet a little bit later? Take it now. But think when we're watching it. I mean, think of you in that big crowd. This is the imagery. 
It's an athletic, athletic stadium. The judge's seat is there. You're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. We're called out one at a time to stand before our Lord. Because notice what it says after it says judgment seat. So that each one, each one, I mean, that tells me that I won't really be standing there with Tina. And I won't really be standing there with my family or with my church family. I mean, it says, so that each one individually may be recompensed. And recompense means what? It means to be paid back for, like, wages for work. You're paid back for work that you've done, for work completed. And when we appear before the judgment seat, appear, that word actually means we just don't show up and say, here, I'm going. It's like we show up and we're laid bare. That's what that word means. When you look it up, it means to be, like, opened up for scrutiny. So there we will appear, we'll be laid bare before the judgment seat so that each one individually may be recompensed, paid back for what? For deeds done in the body. In the body. Why would he say that, in the body? Well, I think it's to, to reinforce that it's not just something that we wished for, we thought about, but we did, that we actually done, we did in the body. whether good or bad. So, what are, what are some good deeds? Well, I think there's hundreds of them, aren't there? It could, be, it could be teaching the word to a friend. It could be teaching a class. It could be witnessing. It could be serving in the nursery, serving in the kitchen, serving on praise team, cutting the grass, maintenance around the church, or any other ministry opportunity there is here at the church, within the church. Or it could be just the many good deeds the good or bad, the good deeds that you do daily, right? Just live in life. Just as opportunities unfold around you and you see a need and you act on it for the glory of Christ. I mean, I imagine the Lord keeps great detailed records. I don't think anything is ever forgotten or lost. And I think this verse is telling us that we will all appear before the Lord and he's going to kind of separate out these good deeds from the bad. And, and, and the word bad does not mean sin here because we know that our sin has been forgiven. God remembers it no more through the blood of Christ. So I don't think that that's what that could mean here. But I think the word bad means, again, when you look it up, it means worthless, just of no spiritual value, right? You're just kind of hanging out. Um, deeds... Bad deeds, just kind of wasting time. You know, I think those are the deeds that he's talking about. And, and at the end, it appears the, Lord's will, the Lord will separate out those bad deeds and will want, our goal, will want to have many good left over for him to examine. All of us are going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and be recompensed, paid back for his, and his payment will be his affirmation. Well done, good and faithful servant. His affirmation will be crowns placed on our head by the judge standing at the door. So I internalize this, and I think of that day for me. Right? I think of that day for Mark. And I, I think of that day is coming when I will be standing there, and I think of all that God has entrusted to me, right? my family, uh, my resources, my finances, uh, the word of God, 
my relationships with individuals around me. You know, the youth of the church, being able to, pre- being able to preach occasionally to you. I mean, a lot has been entrusted to me. And so I want to remain faithful. And the Lord has also entrusted much to you as well. And on the last day, it appears we will have to speak up. And I'm sure he's going to know the answer before we speak. But it appears we'll have to go through this process of standing before him at this judgment seat. In in Luke chapter 19, it's kind of a long parable. But man, you'll see how it applies to what I'm what I'm talking about here. In Luke chapter 19, Jesus told a parable that also reinforces these final words in Revelation. And a parable, as you know, is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And it paints this picture that's worth a thousand words. And so it becomes this clear image of truth. And let's read it together this morning. So beginning in verse 11, Luke chapter 19, Jesus says this. While they were listening to these things, Jesus went on to tell a parable because he was near Jerusalem and they supposed that the kingdom of God was going to appear immediately. So he said, a nobleman, this is Jesus, a nobleman went to a distant country to receive a kingdom for himself and then return. And he called ten of his slaves and gave them ten minas and said to them, do business with this until I come back. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, We do not want this man to reign over us. When he returned, after receiving the kingdom, he ordered that these slaves, to whom he had given the money, he called be called to him so that he might know what business they had done. The first appeared, saying, Master, your mina has made ten minas more. He said to him, well done, good slave. Because you've been faithful in a very little thing, you are going to be in authority over ten cities. The second came, saying, your mina master has made five minas. He said to him also, and you are to be over five cities. Another came, saying, master, here is your mina, which I kept put away in a handkerchief. For I was afraid of you because you are an exacting man, and you take up what you did not lay down, and you reap what you did not sow. He said to him, By your own words I will judge you, you worthless slave. Did you know that I am an exacting man, taking up what I did not lay down, and reaping what I did not sow? Then why did you not put my money in the bank? And having come, I would have collected it with interest. Then he said to the bystanders, Take the mina away from him and give it to the one who has the ten minas. And they said to him, Master, he has ten minas already. I tell you that to everyone who has, more shall be given. But from the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away. But these enemies of mine, who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slay them in my presence. The point is this. The nobleman is returning. Jesus is coming again, and he's bringing his reward with him. And there's coming a final judgment day, that last day, judgment for every believer, in which they will give an account directly, I feel, one-on-one to the Lord Jesus Christ. Minas have been put in our hands. Some measure of time, some measure of talent, some measure of money has been entrusted to each and every one of us to use for the kingdom. 
Don't be the slave that just hands him the one mina back. Right? Jesus didn't react too well to that slave. This morning, I hope we can take this parable to heart and just simply examine our lives. How is your life being given to the Lord's work? What kind of rate of return has there been for the mina placed in your hand? Is just coming to church doing the Lord's work? I mean, what do you guys think? I don't think so. And there are many Christians who aren't even doing that this morning. So in a sense, we're the A-team. We're the cream of the crop. How is your life being invested in the work of the Lord? When asked to serve, do you quickly say yes or do you consider it an inconvenience? I think that's going to show up on the last day. I, I, really, I think we're all, we all are going to have some explaining to do to the master on the last day. But also consider this, that many of our actions for the Lord are done quietly and aren't recognized by others. I mean, we know that when we pray, when we give in secret, when we work around the church and nobody else is here and you don't draw attention to yourself, when you deliver blankets to chemo patients, however you serve him, the Lord sees it all. He keeps perfect books and perfect records. And when he, he returns, his reward is with him. He will give to all according to what we've done in the body to serve the Lord. So I, I think this is encouraging because can you just, can you imagine the thrill? Can you imagine the excitement to look into the face of the glorified Christ, right? I mean, to look into his face and to hear from his mouth, for him to call you out by name, for him to say, this is your life. Well done. I'm going to put you over 10 cities and you will have so much joy in heaven. You will have so much more satisfaction and fulfillment in heaven and serving me in over 10 cities than if I would just put you over one. It appears it all won't be the same on the last day. So finally, in, in Revelation here, his final words to us, Jesus gives us the promise of his return, the promise of his reward, which we just thought through and he promises us his reign. He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. So what does he mean here? Well, Alpha is the first letter of the Greek alphabet, and Omega is the last letter of the Greek alphabet. And he follows it up with these two parallel phrases to make sure we know. The first and the last, beginning and the end. I think what it means is that Jesus who's the author of history that started at the very beginning when history started. He's the author. He designed history. He's the architect of everything, of history. It began with Jesus. He's the first. He's the alpha. He's the source. He's its origin. It's all coming from Jesus, everything. And he's the omega. He's the one who brings history to its appointed end. All history is moving to the time when Jesus will return as the judge, standing at the door. It will not end in chaos as if there's no master plan. He's Lord over all, and he will return. As dark as this world has become, and, and boy, did we all just witness that this week in, in New York with the pa passage of those outrageous abortion laws and where some people even applauded them. As dark as this world is, 
you know, it's just going to highlight even more the contrast, the glory of our Lord when he comes riding out of those clouds on that white horse that we see in that window, right? When he who sits on it is called faithful and true and on his, and written on him is a name that nobody knows and then the crown on his head that has so many diadems on it representing his complete sovereign rule over everything, This is the promise of Christ. He will reign with us forever. He will be King Jesus. He will rule forever and we will serve him. He is the omega. He's the end. He will have the last word on everything. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. These were the last words he chose to leave us with the last words of Christ. Remember them this week. Place them in front of your hearts. Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to render to every man according to what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. There's really nothing left to say, is there, after the Omega has spoken? But what's our response to that going to be? What's our response? And I think one thing that we can definitely do together as a church family is our response can be we can stand and we can sing and we can praise him and we can worship him and we can thank him. We can honor him. We can look forward to that day. We can live for him. Together, let's stand and sing this morning. Praise and worship. When we all get to heaven, verses 1, 2, and 4.